Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's no doubt that you all are familiar with atomic energy. Just this little tiny atom, you can't even see it, releases vast amounts of energy. It could be used for good purposes, like powering a city, uh, or uh, purposes that cause destruction and harm. Of course, you probably would equate the name Albert Einstein with atomic energy as a giant in quantum physics. Well, step aside, Albert Einstein, because there is something tiny and yet so much more powerful than atomic energy, something that puts uh, the, the greatest nuclear blast that ever occurred to shame. And it is the mighty seed of God's word. God's word is, uh, is the subject of all of our lessons today. God's word is efficacious, accomplishing that which he purposes. It doesn't return to him void. That is what the prophet Isaiah said. But what does it do? It goes to the ends of the earth. Look at Psalm 65 and you see the coastlands, the ends of the earth. All people are watered by God's word. It's given freely. It falls on good and bad soil alike. And his word increases. It gives growth. The word doesn't just stay in the ground. It, it produces, in some cases, a hundredfold. But before we get to that, I want to go back for a moment to our lesson from last week. Jesus was answering the question of whether or not God was at work in John the baptizer and in Jesus himself. I mean, after all, there were whole cities and regions who should have heralded the coming Messiah and received him with faith. But instead, they scorned him and they did not receive the good news. They did not receive the message of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus pronounced woes on those cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. So it's natural that some would have doubts seeing what was happening or not happening and say, I don't know, is God really at work in Jesus? Is God really at work in this Jesus of Nazareth or this John the baptizer who is uh, who was preaching his coming. And Jesus answered the question, leaving no doubt as to whether he was at, God was at work in him. And he pointed to the, the hidden, this hidden gospel, you know, when he said uh, that it was not, it was hidden from the wise and understanding, but it was revealed to little children. In our lesson today, Jesus is continuing in this vein by teaching in parables, which he does. If you're wondering, by the way, what is the missing section in our lectionary today? You know, because we go Matthew uh, chapter 13, 1 through 9, and we leave out uh, 10 uh, through 17. 
and pick up at 18. Well, it's not, if you want to look at it, you can look at it. You'll see that 10 through 17 was just the apostles asking him, why are you teaching in parables? And he answered them on that. But today specifically, we're focused on this parable, which he explains because it is hidden. Uh, But he gives the explanation so that we would know. We have a parable about a sower, about a seed, and different types of ground that the seed lands on. In Jesus' explanation, you'll notice that he didn't say who the sower is. Who is it sowing this mighty seed? Well, it's Jesus. It's his apostles. It's ordinary people like you and I. I think that's why he doesn't say specifically, I'm the sower, or your father in heaven is the sower. The sower is anyone who's wielding this mighty seed, which is the word, the very word of God. He did say that the word of the kingdom, the seed is the Word of the kingdom. Those are his words. It is the word of the kingdom, and he explains that it is heard in the heart of man. It enters through your ears, or it enters through your eyes as you're reading the words of Scripture. But it it enters and is heard here in your heart. So, he identifies the soil. We have the path. The word is snatched away by Satan. We have the rocky ground. The word grows, but it has insufficient roots, so it perishes with persecution. We have thorns. The word grows, but is choked out by the cares of the world and by the deceitfulness of riches. And then we have good soil, which Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This mighty seed, think about it. In the parable, this seed grows every place it's planted. Even on bad soil, it grows. It penetrates hearts of stone. I mean, that's what we have. That's what natural man has, a heart of stone. But God's word, like a two-edged sword, pierces even this heart of stone and gives this heart hearing to hear the, the kingdom of heaven. The word grows and it multiplies. Think about this. In the upper room, there were 12 apostles. At the start of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, There were about 120, the scripture says. By the end of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people added to their numbers in one day. And then from Jerusalem, the word of God went forth into all of the known world and has come to us today. We're talking about billions of people. That's the growth of this mighty seed that is God's word. Billions of people have received this word and come to faith. 
You go back to Psalm 65. That's what I mean by uh, the, the richness of the language that God uses in Psalm 65. You visit the earth and water it. You provide the grain. You water its furrows abundantly, blessing its growth. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. See, the gospel started with the Jews, but it has since gone out to the ends of the earth so that now even Gentiles in the wilderness, that's what wilderness means. It means people outside. Uh, Even Gentiles in the wilderness have heard the word and received it with faith and come to life as a result. So what is this word that God waters down upon the earth, upon the entirety of the earth? Well, it's this, simply put, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. That he has lived the perfect and sinless life that you and I cannot live. That he has taken upon himself your sins. That he has taken them to the cross. And that your faith, by faith in Christ, trusting in in this promise, you receive his righteousness. Your unrighteousness is not going to do it, nor is mine. But Christ's righteousness is is all-sufficient. And that's the righteousness that we receive in Christ. This This is the word. I mean, that is the word. That is this mighty seed. Did you all ever stop and think about this, that you are actually wielding something that has more power than the atom bomb? Think about that. You are wielding something with tremendous power. Don't worry about that cold, recalcitrant-hearted neighbor that you have that you think might not uh, be receptive to God's word. God's word is a mighty seed. Just plant it. Rocky soil? Well, we've been in rocky soil before. Each one of you has, I'm sure. You just plant the word. Let God give the growth because he does. That's what Jesus is saying is that this seed of God's word is powerful. It is the word by which the church continues by which more and more are added to be heirs of this promise. The word comes to you through preachers like me preaching to you right now. The word comes to you through holy baptism in which you were washed clean of all of your sins and given this promise of eternal life in Christ. The word comes to you through the sacrament of the altar as you come forward and receive the very body and the very blood of Christ given and shed for the forgiveness of your sins. See, that is the word. That's the word of promise. And when you hear that word of promise and believe, blessed are you because you have ears to hear and have heard. This word comes to you through fellow saints as you gather to read scripture, to do Bible study, to console one another. You know, when someone comes to you and says, I feel terrible, I've done this thing. 
you don't have to be the pastor to say Christ's words to them of God has put away your sin in Christ Jesus. Receive that forgiveness that for the sake of Jesus Christ, this sin which you have confessed is forgiven. I'm not encouraging the congregation to start to go off the rails and start doing your own private confession sessions or anything. Um, That's not what I'm saying. But when someone confesses to you a sin, and and they might not say, I want to confess a sin to you. They might just say, I feel terrible about this thing that I did. That's when they need to hear the consoling words of Jesus Christ dying for your sins. That's the, but that's the point is, that's the word that goes to them. This isn't just about evangelism. You know, it's not the word standing on a soapbox and preaching the word. It's about people who need to hear these consoling words of promise because that's primarily what the word is. It's the word of promise that Jesus Christ died for your sins. So as I said, this is what you wield. That's, this is what you, what you have within you. And this is the thing that produces fruit. That's the fruit is is you speaking these words to others and to yourself. Because sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say, Satan, you're right about me. All the bad things you say about me being a sinner, unworthy of forgiveness, you're right. But you're wrong if you think that God doesn't forgive me because he does. For Christ's sake, he forgives me. Oh, you say I'm not righteous? Yeah, I am, because I have Christ's righteousness. So yeah, I am righteous, Satan. So we need to speak those words to ourselves. This is what it means to abide in the word. And this is where the good soil comes in, because it's not about me being a good person. This, this is not, this reference to good soil is not some allusion to sanctification, like Oh, well, you just need to do all the right things and be the right kind of person. And that's the good soil. That's the soil God wants to plant in. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the good soil is the one that remains in that word, that life-giving word, that word of forgiveness, of reconciliation for me and for you, for everyone. See, this is also how we forgive one another because if I've been forgiven for my sins, what gives me the right to withhold forgiveness from my brother in Christ who has done me wrong and is, you know, no, see, I'm called to forgive in the same way. So we live and we abide in that word. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here. You're here to abide in that word. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that because that is the good soil. It's, It's living and being in this word of God. The cares of this world align themselves against you because they want to take away the word. The deceitfulness of riches will tempt you. And how? The deceitfulness of riches tempt you to put your trust in them, which we do. We, we do that. We, we put our trust in the care of riches. So we need that reminder to say, no, no, don't put your trust in that. That will fail. Put your trust in the word. 
you know, the care of riches. There, there is a, a word, mammon, that you know, a lot of people translate that as just money. Actually, mammon is a false god. Man, the word mammon is a proper na- name. It's, it's a false god who's called mammon. And he does, it is a false god that represents wealth, so it's not inaccurate to use it that way. But yeah, that's a false god. We want to stay away from that. Instead, we want to turn to God and trust in him, his provision, because he provides for us every day. Not only money or whatever, food to eat, every breath you take is a gift from God. He's giving it to you. So our very existence at all times is upheld by God. That's where our trust ought to be then. Satan would seek to remove the word entirely so that nobody would even hear it. No one would hear the message that Jesus Christ died for their sins. Can you think of anywhere where this has happened, where the word of Christ's forgiveness has been taken away? You can't even mention Christ in many places in our society. Well, that is Satan's work. Take Christ away, take the consolation away, pay no attention to God. That is Satan's trick. He, he pulls that away. We can't let that happen. Persecution and tribulation come to all people at some point in their life. It does. We all, we all will experience persecution and tribulation. So how do we withstand the temptation to do like Job's wife encouraged him to do? Curse God and die. Obviously, you're not on his good list. So she said, curse God and die. No, no, because, and this is where we we have to abide in his word and be careful to understand his word. God didn't say that we're gonna walk through life on a bed of roses. I mean, as we talked about this morning uh, from Acts 5, the apostles went away from their beating that they received, rejoicing that they could suffer in the name of Christ. That's what we, we pray for, God Keep me in your word. I know that you didn't promise that this would be a bed of roses. Oh, it's tough right now. I pray that you would remove this burden from me, this storm from my side. But whether you do or don't, keep me in your word because I know that what you have for me is eternal life, which doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory right here and now all the time because it's not. But you didn't promise it would, but you did promise me eternal life. And that's the promise I'm gonna cling to. Again, that's what it means to abide in Christ's word and to let that seed have its, have its way in you, working faith in you constantly. The answer to all of this, to pain, to suffering, to sinfulness, to remorse, regret, repentance, uh, the things that go wrong in our life, the answer to all of it is this word of promise. That's the word that gives us life. That's the word that gives others life. That's the word that we're to share. That Jesus died for your sins, that you have received forgiveness for Christ's sake. And now we we continue to hear that, to say that, to speak that, to believe that, to have that faith. And in having that faith, have eternal life, which is yours now and in the time to come. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.